So I, I shared a few moments ago before Ethel spoke that um, our scripture this morning comes from, from 2 Timothy. And again, the, the tradition of the church is that this is a, a letter that, that Paul writes uh, while he's in prison in Rome. And it is written shortly before, it's attributed to a time shortly before um, Paul's martyrdom before uh, his, his execution at the hands of, of Nero. And, um, but it's a, a letter that, that from front to back is, is an, a pouring into uh, of Paul into Timothy, uh, an encouragement, an admonition, a, a, a kind of a, a challenge to continue to live into his faith, to grow in his faith, and, and to, serve, to serve Christ. The words that, um, that I want to read from this morning begin to, to kind of reflect some of Paul's thoughts as his life is, is coming to an end. And the focus words this morning are probably, for, for many of you, very familiar. Uh, you may have, be, have heard them read at, um, most often at funerals and celebrations of life, um, as Paul kind of shares this reflection um, with us. So, so hear these words that, that Paul writes again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Again, do you hear these words he's speaking into Timothy? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. For I... I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, that we would long for your word, for your Holy Spirit to speak, for your truth, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to believe and hands and feet to respond in obedience according to the call of Christ. We pray you would take these moments, speak to us now, and do with us as you will. In Christ we pray. Amen. with me for a second please I am fighting the tail end of a cold if you can hear it and which is fine I feel fine but I'm very concerned my voice holding up for three services this morning so uh, the 1111 might get blessed I may just have to cut it and say I'm done um, I am um, as I was writing the the message or reflecting on the message this week at various times uh, I had my eyes drawn to, to this that sits on the desk at home. It's a, it's a stamp. This one actually 
um, is a notary stamp. Tony's a notary. So this is, this is her stamp. I didn't tell her I was bringing this with me this morning, so I better make sure I get it home. But, um, you know, it's, it's her personalized stamp. When she notarizes something and, and um, you know, kind of gives the, the, the legal credential or whatever it needs to be for, for, for those kind of documents, it testifies that her hands, her eyes, her, her presence has been kind of on that document, if you will. You probably, I know some of you have stamps, personalized stamps. I see them on notes that you send. We have a couple others at home. Uh, I have one in the office that I stamp on books and things so that if I loan books out, because I'm notorious for doing this, I will loan books out to people. And I, I don't write down, if you come and borrow a book from me, I don't you know, have a check in and check out. And I'll forget that, that I loaned it to you. Hopefully you won't. Um, but I have a stamp in, in my books, you know, that just, it personalizes it. It kind of puts my, my signature, my mark on it, if you will. And uh, I started to think about that in, in reflection to, to what Paul's writing about here. Really the reality of our lives. And that is, I first started to think, you know, the challenge is us to think is, do we have, <coughs> excuse me, do we put a stamp on things? Do you have a, a personal kind of a stamp of, not, not, not a literal stamp, but that kind of testifies to, to who you are and your character and your makeup and, and your values that you kind of infuse in the things that you do? But the reality is you do. We all do. We all stamp the activities of our lives in, in one way or the other. Sometimes it may be very, very positive, and in some cases it could be far more negative. But the reality is you do leave an imprint. You do leave an impact on the things you do and the relationships you have and the experiences you share. We all do that. Well, Paul, as he writes this, as, as this reflection uh, toward the end of his life, he's kind of putting a stamp um, at, the, at the end of his life. He's kind of writing his, his own epitaph, if you will. Uh, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There awaits for me a crown, the crown of righteousness, with the, which the Lord longs to give all, or to give to all who long for His appearing. Paul's kind of putting his stamp on, on the end of his life, and what he is saying is, I have given all I've got to give. I have, I have poured it out. He, he wants to say to Timothy, my life may be coming to an end, but make no mistake, Nero does not take my life. I give it. I pour it out as an offering, a, a drink offering would draw upon the Jewish tradition of, of making your offerings to the Lord as, as the wine or the drink would be poured out as a gift. And Paul says, I, I give it. I've given everything and I'm prepared to give it all. The very last breath I give to Jesus. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have given all I have. I, I've told you before that I've had the, the opportunity over the years to go to some um, Ironman races that my brothers have, have raced. Triathlons, long, long distance triathlons. If you're not familiar with an Ironman, I know I've talked about it before. It's a 2.2 mile swim, it's a 112 mile bike, and it's a 26.2 mile run in one day. It separates the normal from the crazies and um and it is it, the races generally start at 7 a.m and you have 17 hours <coughs> excuse me to complete that means by midnight of that night you've got to have gotten across the finish line and there's cutoff points points along the way 
But one of the most um, inspiring things to do as a spectator is to, to be at the finish line. And to begin to watch the, the competitors come in. And that usually, you know, the pros will finish in about eight hours, somewhere in there, depending on the, on the, the difficulty of the, of the course. But from the time the pros start coming in until midnight, people are finishing. And uh, watching them come across exhausted, as, you, as I can only imagine, and literally only imagine, sometimes running, sometimes looking strong, sometimes walking, occasionally not even walking. And at the finish line, as, as they come across, there are always ready medical personnel. They're at the line. Because it's not uncommon to see somebody finish and immediately collapse. Just go down. Because they have given every ounce they have. They come to the end of the line, and th- this is true for any kind of an endurance race, and you've seen it. They come to the line, and they have used every ounce of willpower, of physical strength. They, they cross the line, and pff, down they go, because they got nothing left. And that's, that's what Paul says. That's how he's finishing. His life has not been charmed. It's been hard. It's been difficulty. But, but he basically says, man, I've, I've, I'm giving it all. At the end, I'm ready to collapse into the arms of Jesus because there's nothing left. And so he's reflecting upon his life. And, and as, as I read that again, and I've read it a million times because I use it frequently at services of celebration, at funerals and memorials, I started to think about the value of us engaging in that kind of an exercise, which is to think about how you would describe your life in its final moments. Uh, that, that sounds morbid, but I don't mean it to be. But the reality is there's value in thinking through that kind of a, of a reflection. What is it going to be like? What's going to be said? What's going to be your stamp, your, your mark at, at the end of your life? Now, think about it. We've, you, you may have been a part of an, an exercise at some point in your life where you wrote your, le- your own um, obituary. Anybody ever done that, you know, where you've reflected and re- Okay, maybe, maybe you haven't done that. Well, a few of us have done that. Or I saw one hand, thank you. Um, well, you kind of wrote your own obituary. How do you want to be remembered? And there's, that's, a, that's a, a good exercise, I think. But the, the thing is, that's, that's sometimes our wishful thinking. You know, we, we write it, and this is what we hope. These kind of becomes kind of a goal sheet. These are the hope, things I hope I've done by the time the, the end of my life comes. I want to challenge you a little deeper. What would be said if today was your last day? A couple weeks ago, uh, I pulled a muscle in, in my chest doing something that was, should have been fairly routine, but, but I, I, felt, I felt the tweak, and I knew I'd kind of had a, a little bit of a muscle pull. At least that's what I thought it was. And um, it wasn't too bad. A couple days later, I, I did some exercise where I exerted myself, and um, the next day I was in a lot of pain. I'd, I'd taken what was a minor muscle pull, and by being a dum dumb, I had made it a, a major kind of muscle pull. And uh, it really, right here, I mean, just really, really hurt. It was tight, um, and, and so I was having a hard time. It hurt when I, breathe, when I was breathing. I'm sitting in the chair at home. I'm telling Tony, I'm like, Tony, I'm in a lot of pain. 
And she looked at me and she said, Chris, are you sure it's a muscle pull and it's not your heart? And I went, well, I was until just a moment ago. <laughs> and uh, you know, she said it out of concern. I mean, it was said out of love, but, but it, create, it planted a seed, you know. And so I did the dumbest thing possible. I Googled it. And I started reading, even though, you know, heart attack and things like that. And then I became very psychosomatic. And I was like, well, does my arm feel numb? Is my, am I sweating? You know, and, and you start to go through that. And, and I don't want to kind of overblow it. I was still fairly confident that it was just a, a muscle pull. But this happened about 9.45 at night. I tried to turn in about 10 o'clock. So I was going to bed. <laughs> so I'm laying in bed with a chest hurting and, and I was reflecting and, and I wasn't I wasn't panicking or anything like that but I started to think it sounds morbid but it, it really wasn't what if what if I didn't wake up tomorrow what if what if this was was the end what um, would my stamp have been what what difference would I have made what would be the story of of, of my life I think that's a valuable question to ask. In, in um, Thailand, Buddhist monks will have books that will, almost like a coffee table book. And the books have various pictures of dead bodies in various stages of decay. I know, it doesn't sound really morbid, doesn't it? And they'll look at those pictures regularly. And like I said, it sounds like a, a pretty kind of morbid thing, but the, the exercise is a reminder of the mortality of life, the, the, the finite nature, that we only have a certain amount of time, and to challenge them to think intentionally about the way that they use the time that they've been giving. What would be said about your life? What would be said about mine? That's an important question to ask. In conjunction with that is this question. Whose life is better because you're in it. Whose life is better because you have been a part of it? The most powerful celebrations of life that I'm a part of are the ones where not me as the, the preacher necessarily, but the, the family, the, the loved ones, the friends get up and they tell the stories of how their life has been blessed because of the presence of the person there, there to celebrate. Whose life is blessed because you're a part of it? It doesn't have to be a large number of people. We're all wired different. Our gifts are different. But, but what impact have you made? And that's an important question for anybody to ask. But in Christ, as followers of Christ, as Christians, the question may even go a little bit deeper. Who's closer to God because of your life? You know, why do we talk about children's ministry? It doesn't have to be children's ministry. It doesn't have to be adult to kid. It can be friend to friend. It can be child to parent. There, there's no limit on the, the nature of the relationships, but who has come closer to God because of you? That's, that's a tough question. That's a, that's a tough question, but our lives are measured, the value of our lives. In fact, Jesus tells parable and parable about this, is measured in the, the blessing we are to others. The, the, the least of these. 
In fact, in Matthew 25, it's that invitation that Jesus gives to those who have invested their talents, invested their lives in others and caring for those in need and caring for those around them. And this is the invitation that Jesus gives to them. He says, come into the joy of your master. You know, come into the joy of your master. Whose life is better because of you? I read a, a, a story this week. It's too long for me to tell in its entirety. But it was, it was very, very powerful. And, and the gist of it was that there was this, um, this gentleman who was kind of getting older in years. He wasn't by any stretch old, but he was starting to get into his later 50s. And his, he, he was starting to physically, um, you know, the, the physical effects of age were starting to take a toll. And he realized some of his strength and, and, and vigor was starting to, to diminish. His wife had died years before. His children were grown and on their own. And <coughs> he was losing purpose. And so he decided to challenge himself to climb this very, very treacherous peak in the um, Swiss Alps. Ice peak. And with the full recognition that he may not survive. And he was okay with that. He was going to give all he had, and if that was his final accomplishment, he was, he was fine with that. So he set out on this journey, and the story unpacks a lot of his experiences, but he gets to a point where he's on a sheer ice cliff, and his, his strength is fading. He's hurting. He knows um, he doesn't have much left, and he's kind of making peace with the fact this is going to be his final moments. As he's doing that, he hears something kind of on the cliff above him and kind of over this edge, and uh, he immediately identifies that there's some people up there that are in trouble. A climber had slipped, and her climbing partner was using every ounce he could just to hold her by the rope that she was hooked to, but he couldn't move because if he moved, he'd lose her. He just, so they were stuck. They were in a, in a life-and-death situation, and he realized that something was going on. And in that moment, he found a strength he didn't know he had. And he found... A purpose, and he climbed through his pain, and he reached to where they were, and he was able to help rescue them. And the three of them got to a safe place, and they spent the night in a tent, and they shared the experience. But basically, when his life took on the opportunity, when when in that moment he seized an opportunity to not worry about his own pain or struggle or difficulties, but to care for somebody else to save a life, he found new purpose. He found new purpose in others purpose have you and I found in others? What would be said about us? Whose life is blessed because of us? And then here's the final question. What will the master say to us? What will the master say to us? Because we don't approach death as a people who have no hope. We don't talk about death with a morbid finality or with with a sense of, uh, of of doom because we believe in the one who has freed us from the chains of death, who has overcome death and invited us into resurrection through faith, has invited us to participate in life here and forever through his victory over death. So we don't approach death. In fact, we can have these conversations, even though they're heavy, even though they're not always the most pleasant conversations, we can have them as a people who have hope because Paul says, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Why wasn't Paul afraid of those moments? Because he knew of the victory he had in Jesus. But he's reflected on what that moment would be like when he stepped into the presence of his master. There awaits for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord longs to give to me, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Come into the joy of your master. What will the master say to you? What will he say to me on the moment that we step into his presence? Now that can be an intimidating thought. In fact, I will tell you, death, I don't think frightens me, but I have a healthy, reverent fear of what it will be like to stand in the presence of God. And I thank God for his grace in that moment. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but thou art the same God whose property is always to have mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. But what will the master say? I believe there's value in us reflecting on occasion and living life now with the end in mind. Not the end of all things, but the end of our mortality, the end of our earthly existence. What will be said? What will be your stamp, your, your epitaph, the reflection others will make? What will be said about your life? What impact have you had on others? And what will the Lord say when you step into his presence? Embrace the moments we've been given, friends. Embrace the life that we have now and live it with the end in mind so that we will make a difference. That is who Christ has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, that this would not be a sense of foreboding or a sense of, of darkness or doom or gloom. We, we, we approach death through faith. We approach the fact that our lives are finite with the knowledge that in Christ we have the promise of the infinite. That we are but mortal, but immortality awaits through Jesus. So help us to embrace life now, not with a sense of a fear of what will be, but of an opportunity to live into the call of Christ, to love, to give, to serve. That's the way of Jesus. May that be the way of each of us as your people. We pray it now in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.